0: i know how i'm gonna start okay good (laughs) so is it one two three four okay okay i'm todd lyons
1: i'm natalie crandall i'm valeria sosa
0: and i'm
2: sean turnbull and this is the innovate on demand podcast
0: In this episode of the program, we go back to basics. What does innovation even mean? Is it the magic bullet for any problem that some people make it out to be? Is it something we should even be attempting in the public service, given what's at risk? Or is it the latest shiny thing we feel pressured to chase? We were past due for a frank and fearless conversation. Natalie, Valeria, and our guests were happy to oblige. Sean, so Sean, let's just let's just dive right in. Why don't you tell us what you think about innovation?
2: I'm a little exhausted of the term. I'm innovation. shocked. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not a spoiler alert. It's going to be a little bit dark. Um, so I was just I was saying before that every job I've had in government so far has had the word innovation in it, and I'm a little bit a little bit jaded when it comes to government bureaucracy innovation uh, based on those experiences. I do want to say from the start that I don't want it to be super negative and say people shouldn't try to innovate and that we should just continue along with the status quo. Obviously, there are times when there are many examples where we need to try new things and, and, and be more adaptive in government. And you're um, also
0: not just jaded when it comes to innovation.
2: No, no, that's just a general <laughs> sort of approach to life for me. Uh, <laughs> True. (laughs) But I think with government innovation, we oftentimes try and import ideas and concepts from other places, mostly the private sector, especially the startup sector. So we try to do things that it's sort of like the cargo cults, where they would build these airports out of cardboard boxes, and then they would think... That airplanes would land. So, if we think if, if we build an innovation lab, then innovation will then happen, right? It's the field dreams, field of dreams, uh, innovation <laughs> strategies. And I don't think we take seriously a. I don't think we take seriously the lessons that we could be learning from the private sector. And b. I don't think that there are necessarily a lot of lessons to be learned from the private sector. We aren't the private sector, and we need to make a strong case about why we need to innovate in a certain field or with a certain tool before we actually do it. And just because it's there to try and just because it's a new idea is not good enough. And so that's one of my main takeaways from from being in the government innovation space, both in terms of innovating with new interventions to work with the public, but also in terms of innovating within our own sort of corporate services and internal innovation in the way we think about and see the world.
0: Can you give us a for instance?
2: Sure. Uh, blockchain is really interesting uh, it's a, it's a very cool tool. Distributed ledger systems can, can, can help solve real problems and are solving some real problems. And so we should know about blockchain, especially from a regulatory perspective. We should understand it. We should add it to our toolbox, but we shouldn't try and shoehorn in blockchain solutions to problems that do not exist. We shouldn't take a, a problem that can be solved with just an Excel file and try and do a blockchain solution just because it's cool and new. Um, and similarly with design thinking, a very cool way to approach the world. We can't design think every single problem, right? So I, I, I do th- sometimes worry that we are we fall into the trap of being tool-driven in our innovation, where we see a solution and then we start looking for a problem. And I think the best innovations are ones that are problem-driven, right? We see a real problem in the world. This is a problem for Canadians. I'm less interested in problems for government employees, so those are real problems too. But when there's a real problem for Canadians that we can fix with an innovative tool, that's the best kind of innovation. And there are real, very cool examples of that. And you, you guys have probably talked to some people or will talk to some people who have great examples of that. But when when we see something cool in the world and we just want to try it out, that's when we get into some some problems, I think, in terms of... That's when you're not really delivering real value for your organization. You're not really delivering real value for Canadians. And this, this cuts to like the core of what annoys me about it is you don't get focused on outcomes anymore. You get focused. The, the innovation itself becomes the outcome. Getting the money out the door, getting the innovation out the door becomes the outcome, becomes success. That's, and, and, and you sort of are right to think that way because you will get the ADM award if you get that innovation done. But did you produce any real meaningful outcomes? So that's, that's a lot of it at the core of my, exhaustion.
1: So if I were to maybe try and paraphrase, and please correct me if if I'm I'm not catching it, um, not not everything necessarily lends itself to an innovative lens right now. And so maybe we should put a bit of time and thought into, you know, where we should be innovating. Would you say that that's fair?
2: Yeah, definitely. I I think that's, I always say like, so this, and this gets back to the definitional question, what is innovation? Which, you know, is both exhausting, but also important to think about. Innovation is trying something new. And, and when is the best time to try something new? Well, when the old thing isn't working. And what evidence do we have that the old thing isn't working? And in any given scenario, our evidence in government ranges from non-existent to eh, kind of crappy, right? We rarely have good evidence about what we're doing right now. So how could we even presume to think an, an innovation would be necessary? We don't even know how fast the car is going. It doesn't make sense to put a new engine in there when, the, when you haven't even built a speedometer. right? And so I think a lot of our innovations are like engine-focused innovations. Yeah. We've got to get going faster. And I always get frustrated that we don't really know our original speed. We have no baseline to compare this to. And, but, and those questions aren't even considered necessary because it's just, oh, cool, it's an electric engine. Let's get it in there.
1: So so I have a question for you. I've been thinking a lot about this as thinking uh, of you coming on as our guest, Sean, with your background. How do you think that experimentation can actually contribute to innovation within the public service?
2: It makes me very happy that you asked me that question. So <laughs> that's a very strong host move, I would say. So yeah, and that's part of been my my innovation journey too, is that I started in innovation and then I ended up in the, for the last year at Treasury Board working on the experimentation file. And it was for that reason. I think experimentation is like innovation 2.0 or it it is it is a necessary precondition to innovation because experimentation capital e experimentation not not when people just use the word experimentation to mean innovation because it doesn't mean that um but the but the rigorous experimentation of testing something that really opens up a ton of space for you to then say okay we think this program is causing this change in the world, but we have to do an experiment to test it, to test it against another way of working or to test it against nothing at all, right? Sometimes maybe our programs are worse than doing nothing. And so once you once you start thinking in that way, you start questioning your assumptions. Well, we thought sending this letter would get this reaction from Canadians. Or we thought this website would get people to click on this. And then you have to think, okay, we need to measure this now. We need to compare it to something. And then when you find out it's not working the way you wanted it to, or it is working, but you think it could be working better, or it's working, but compared to an international benchmark, it doesn't look so great that's when innovation can come in, right? Because then you've actually created a, a problem that you can then solve with an innovation. You have a hypothesis you can test. You can say, look, we're doing it this way. That led to this level of client satisfaction or that led to these processing times. Whatever your metric is that you want to change in the world, we think going to, you know... Some some sort of we think in doing it in with a design design thinking approach will will shorten that amount of time to process it or will will increase client satisfaction, right? We think moving to blockchain will help the whole thing run faster while not while not sacrificing the timing. So it really experimentation, rigorous experimentation, even just thinking it through, not even running a full experiment, but but bringing an experimentation mindset. I think, helps better prepare you to have a more meaningful innovation conversation because it forces you to ask the right questions, to draw your logic model, to interrogate your assumptions, and then it that opens up space for meaningful innovation instead of just slapping an innovation down because it's a new, cool thing to do.
0: So let me ask you, what do you think would be the next step or how could we go about educating people on this front, because I think we've had this conversation before. I think after, after hearing you speak on this subject so passionately, uh, so many times, I started observing in people the fuzziness and the blur between innovation and experimentation and how even entire departments misinterpret these words and, and the, their meaning. So what do you think is the solution in, tor- in terms of working at, with a common understanding of everything? Because we've been trying for years, really.
2: I think it's really, really hard. I think there's like a depressing answer and then a more hopeful one. <laughs> um, so the depressing one. Depressing first. Yeah. The depressing and, and insulting one, but it's insulting to me, so I can say it is. I was doing a, a roundtable on experimentation and someone, I think it was at Global Affairs said, we have a liberal arts problem in policymaking where we hire people who are who don't come from a rigorous empirical field. And if you hire 90% of those people, ECs have that background, they weren't, you know, they weren't engineers or they weren't even psychologists who at least have to understand stats. If you hire that kind of people, then that's the kind of innovation and experimentation you're going to get. It's going to be liberal artsy sort of, you know, fuzzy experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um so that's sort of the depressing answer is that there is maybe a systemic challenge in the The way that we educate policymakers in the, in the design of the programs, like literally back, going back to high school and then, and then universities that, that people are not empirical enough. They don't understand the stats. Um, that's not to say empiricism is, is the only important thing in the world, but, but you know, a weakness is an overused strength. And I think we're really strong on the liberal arts ideas and the concepts of philosophy that we need and the the qualitative sort of understanding of the world. We have that in in spades. What what we might need is some more quantitative. Um, And that can be achieved other than reforming the education system, which is kind of a crappy answer to give. Um, There are ways we can do that uh, at a departmental level with free agents and the PCO Fellowship Initiative and people trying to make changes to rapidly staffing, uh talent cloud maybe, with bringing in new kinds of expertise much more easily than we could do before. So that's one way of doing it. But then there's also just at an individual level, and that's maybe more the kind of point of your question was, how do we convince individuals who might not be so familiar with it? And and that one, I don't know what the answer is to it, other than to say, I think we need to be more thorough experimentally with the way we do this sort of outreach and, and kind of test instead of just sending out an email or organizing a workshop try and be a bit more rigorous with thinking of, thinking through what change we want to see in the world and testing different approaches to that change. So we have, to, it's sort of a meta point, but we have to be experimental with the way we, we support experimentation as well, or else what kind of hypocrites would we be?
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's, I, I find that really interesting because I think, uh, I think it'd be fairly easy to extrapolate the same sort of a situation around data and database decision-making right now, mm-hmm. right? So the world we live in and, and, and the world we work in, the environment we work in is changing significantly. So how do we make sure we've got those skill sets? Because I agree, we talk about data all the time, but I don't see anything that kind of lets an individual uh, take that data and say, how do I know that I've understood this data? How do I know that I'm actually maximizing the use of what's available to actually make better decisions to better understand a situation to better determine a, an experiment or or identify a hypothesis or whatever it is that you're you're trying to do
2: yeah i I totally agree. I think data is like an overlapping sort of venn diagram with experimentation and innovation, and we are opening up new frontiers in terms of the level and type of data that we have access to It's to the point of now we we probably have too much. And so, again, I think it goes back to the like level of expertise we need in government in terms of we need more data scientists. Like I, I push comms teams a lot on why they don't run more experiments because they have access to so much data, right? If you're sending an email out to 10,000 Canadians, you can send it twice and just randomize which version they get and just see which one better leads to the outcome you want. And those kind of experiments are quite rare in comms teams, even though those are the easiest to run. And oftentimes the comms people will say, you know, if you gave a if you gave every comms team a data scientist, you'd see a lot more of these things. But we have no budget for that. And frankly, even if we wanted, there's not enough data scientists who have some sort of comms knowledge that you could even do that. You you couldn't even hire that many. So again, I do think it's an expertise problem. But then there's also an individual question of what can any individual do to get better at, at using data. And I think some people have started to answer that question. We do have that data strategy that is out and things are happening around it, I guess. I don't really know. But
0: I think this brings up an important point. I've also seen something. It doesn't measure what it says it's going to measure, but people are convinced that this does measure what it says. You know what I mean? Like I've seen it so many times where we're like, really? I don't think this is actually measuring what you think it is. Yet we sort of accept it. And as you're talking, um, what I'm thinking about is building diverse teams and how important that is, is is consciously constructing um, a diverse team so that you have those those knowledge gaps filled. Um and and giving that opportunity, and that's part of the experimentation too, you know, um figuring out how we can sort of put some rigor behind building those teams because I know, but I don't have any
1: evidence to support it at all, that I think the results would be um yeah. much I, better. I feel like you're trying to define a unicorn, some
2: <laughs> mythical creature who's
1: both a data scientist and a master storyteller.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think we know stories important. And sometimes when I when I go on this rant, people think. So all, this isn't
1: your first time. No, no, rant. Yeah, no, excellent. Won't no, to a surprise
2: <laughs> to you. Oh, no, I no.
1: Anyone
0: ranted. who knows Sean knows his rant. Uh,
2: and I, I would never want to. I'm not trying to put myself out of a job. I don't think it should all only be just the nerds with glasses doing the money ball sort of advanced stats of government. We definitely need that qualitative. The storytelling side of things Um, and it it is more about the diverse teams but diverse teams are one way to do it right and so we can look at other we can learn some lessons about experimentation from other fields as well and think about how do they do it in the medical side of things Um, not that we want to reproduce that system necessarily but we can take we can take lessons from how do they do it in the UK, where they have a trial advice panel, where they have just a list of academics who are willing to give their time to government to help design experiments. And that's just a, you know, a, a structure that they have built. We can look at the private sector where they have experimentation teams that, that much in the same way we have innovation labs and in government that whose real focus is they have the data experts and, and they have the, uh, the empiricists and they have the people who can do experimental design. They have the ethicists. Well, that's a separate question, um, and they and they can really build meaningful, useful ethical experiments within within their uh, respective organizations and, and learn from those who improve whatever you, the way you sell pet food or in the UK the way that government works. So there, it's there, a random
0: there, example. <laughs> there was it's like I think Petco. Well, there's some pet yeah. food
2: company that has a real strong experimentation side. Of yeah. It's very impressive. So. Yeah, just to say, there's more than one way to do it, right? And and I think at first, before we make the systematic change in the way we Mm -hmm. educate and hire public servants, I think it might be more the the sort of centralized approach, which has its problems. But um, I think it is working in some departments. I think ESDC you see it working um, in terms of they they do have a team that is an innovation experimentation focused team that can sort of deliver wraparound services to help people solve a problem. And they're getting some, some good outcomes from that. And we see other departments trying to replicate that model. And the CRA has a great, great team as well. Um, IRCC. So we, we do see things happening. Um, it's a question of. I mean, it's like any change management, right? It's, it's got to be from the ground up. It's got to be at the mid-level. You have to incentivize it at your leadership level. There has to be champions for it. There has to be real resources put aside for this stuff. So, you know, I think it's like any big problem that we face. We, If we want to ta- tackle it, you know, we have to tackle it at every level with multiple vectors.
1: So would you say then that it's fair to say that we need to mainstream some of the concepts of innovation, experimentation, uh, data, all sorts of things within our everyday work culture so that we can utilize them better. Would, would you say that's fair? Yes. Um,
2: but. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're, I think we're, I think sometimes we over mainstream the innovation piece of it, right? Would be all I would say is that not everything needs to be an innovation. Some things work. Government is actually good at some things. There's no need to innovate in them. Um now the foresight guys might argue you always gotta be one step ahead of the the problems on the horizon, and that's a fair comment. But I would I would say I, I maybe it's 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 the lens I have because it's where I've been working. I've been working in this innovation bubble. So this might not be true if you haven't been in that bubble or you're in maybe not even in the national capital region. Maybe there's there's something about my experience, but I do feel that we've done a pretty good job on convincing people on the innovation side of things and We still have a lot of work to do on the data and experimentation, even evaluation. Right, Even the rigorous sort of evaluation piece, I don't think that we become very, I think we found a way to sort of hive off evaluation into its own ecosystem that we don't really need to interact with as policy and program people, which is defeats the whole purpose of evaluation. And so that's its own podcast entirely. But we found a way to take a very useful concept and bureaucratize the usefulness out of it with the way we do evaluations. Um I hope evaluation people don't get mad at me for saying that. I think a lot of them would agree with that. Mm-hmm.
1: I think they'd feel supported. Yeah, <laughs> they would like to be much more involved. I think the people who work on evaluations uh, firmly believe that it needs to be an integral part of the entire process, whether it's a program or a project or whatever it is. But I mean, if you are not uh, incorporating everything that you learn through your evaluations uh, and tweaking and adjusting, then what,
2: what's what's the what's point the of doing point? it? And I, agree. I think we talk about building diverse teams. One way we could really quickly do that and we wouldn't have to change very much at all is break apart the evaluation chops and take those people and put them in program sector and just say like stop doing these three to five year post hoc evaluations mandated by Treasury Board on questions of questionable relevance to the program and people on the ground and start helping people design programs from a start that are based on existing evidence and help generate new evidence. Right. Those are the two important things. Once we have better evidence, then, you know, that feeds into the experimentation and innovation pieces. Cause then we can know this program isn't working the way we thought it would. Um, but right now the way that in evaluation is consulted, like for a half of a second before a TB sub goes through or an MC goes through. And then they're brought in three years later to run the large evaluation. But that's too late. Mm-hmm. So many decisions have been made. And this goes to data as well, right? Like if you're not capturing the right data, it's pretty hard to run an evaluation five years later.
0: Well, and I think that's a, not only on a big scale, but when you talk about small scale, it's almost like a muscle that we, a brain muscle that we need to build within teams because people just put that aside and they just feel like there there isn't any any time to that it's a luxury. Uh, evaluation is a luxury. You put something forth. You, let's just say you put an in- initiative within your team. You have to talk about it afterwards. Did it work? Did it not work? And, you know, it's not a luxury to have that discussion. It's a necessity. Evaluation of anything that we do is a necessity. Some of these
1: these topics come up often, right? If we want to talk about innovation, if we want to talk about experimentation, if we want to talk about these things, we need to sometimes take a step back and take a bit of time to think about things to be strategic. So, we keep coming up to to same similar points in our conversations, and I guess one question that I would ask is, um, it's one thing to talk about innovation for those people who consider themselves innovators and work in the innovation space, but our public service employee, uh, employment satisfaction survey this year asked every employee what their views are uh, around innovation and whether they felt that they were encouraged to innovate in the workplace which really got me thinking about how an average um, public servant, and I would consider myself to be exactly in that boat, I'm, I'm working in, in something that's called an innovative space for the first time in my career, but I don't feel like it's the first time that I'm applying an innovation lens. Mm-hmm. The question that I would ask is what fundamental changes to our environment, to our work culture, could we make to allow the, those concepts and allow that sort of, understanding of what that all means to become more mainstream in the public service. I don't mean mainstream that an, an innovation lens needs to be applied to everything, but more like that this kind of an articulation is something that's within reach of all public servants.
2: I think that's a really hard question. And yeah. I think we're wrestling. No, you to solve I, the whole but thing, no, it's, it's way, true so that, <laughs> that and and that's part of the problem is when you do approach these things by trying to create a center of excellence is that you sort of undermine the mainstreaming side of things where you say like only these people are doing innovation, which of course couldn't be further from the truth. Um, And so I think it's really important. And I think we don't want to sort of ghettoize innovation in the same way we have sadly done with like gender-based analysis where it's like something, again, if you have time for it, it's nice, but you sort of rewrite the paragraph after you've written most of the MC and like you worry about a post hoc. It's not, it needs to be an integral tool that you use to evaluate ideas from the start. Yes. Um, and so all, like all of these things we're talking about innovation, experimentation, data concerns, evaluation, gender, reconciliation, right? These things are not solved by creating another annex to the treasury board submissions. Um, they're solved by, by mainstreaming it into everyone's toolkit. Um, I don't know how to do that. I do wish we were more evidence-based when we tried to do things like that because there's really good literature out there. That's another issue I have is that we sort of are, are, we're pretty myopic in the way we think about things. We barely even look at past evaluations of programs that are similar to the ones we do. We almost never look at the wider landscape of evidence for a given intervention or a given field, right? There's a lot of work out there on how to do change management. There's a lot of work on how to become a, a stronger organization when it comes to data. It's being generated by governments, NGOs, but by private sector as well. And so just, I think we need to be better at taking a breath and saying, What's the literature say on this? Um, like a meaningful literature review of how to how to negotiate change management in these fields. And I mean, some of it's the same old stuff. You need resources and champions and, and you do need some sort of way of tracking it and incentivizing it. But I think we could be a little bit more innovative in the way we support innovation and a little bit more experimental as well. And saying like, look, we know these approaches worked in this situation. Let's try them. And let's make sure we're measuring something to know if it's working or not. And let's make sure we check that in a year to see if it's getting better. And if it's not, we'll try something else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that, again, that's not a very helpful answer, but I, that would be the change I would like to see is like an evidence-based innovation approach to the way we do business. I haven't seen too much of that so far.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Innovate On Demand, brought to you by the Canada School of Public Service. Our music is by Grapes. I'm Todd Lyons, producer of this series. Thank you for listening.